Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Jeremiah chapter number 10, brand new chapter, so looking forward to that. And I don't have a postcard today, so get busy on that if you would. But I do have a large cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. So that, uh, hey, got to be honest, that's even better than, than a postcard. So I'll be sipping on that, no doubt. But uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Jeremiah chapter number 10, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. My intention today, just to kind of hold myself accountable, is to get through 10 verses. So we got to move to do that. Would you look, please, if, if you would, at verse number 1. So Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number 1 where uh, the Bible says, Hear ye the word of the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Now, I, I love that introduction because it's Jeremiah that is preaching. And he says, listen, listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to what God is saying to you. I think that would just be a great mantra for every Bible teacher, for every a Bible preacher uh, to say, hey, listen to what God's saying to you. Because as we preach the word of God, as we carefully explain and exposit the truth of God's word, we can legitimately say to people, hey, listen to what God's saying to you. And I think it's very important as we share Bible messages to show that the authority for that message is not our own but it's the Lord's. And that's why it's incumbent upon us as teachers and preachers to make sure that we're extracting the truth from the word of God and not simply eisegetically. And what that means is to, we're not reading into the text of scripture what we want it to mean or somehow mangling it or putting verses together that are out of context to make them say what we want to say. No, let's make sure that the messages that we're giving are indeed from the word of God. And, and that's what Jeremiah did. Look at verse number two. Thus saith, saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. Be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. So specifically, verses one through five, the Lord deals with the, the problem of idolatry. And the, the human heart is a heart that's prone to wander. Sometimes we sing that song. And the people of God were so tempted to idol worship. And think about it. You know, back in, in Bible days, uh, they were surrounded by people that worshiped idols. And these people had been in that land longer than God's people had. And sometimes it was easy for God's people to say, yeah, but th their religion, they get to do this. Uh, their religion, they get to be sensual and they get to obey the uh, the temptations of their flesh. And they said that when they do that, when they make that God or, or carve that idol, then the rain comes and things get better and we want a lucky charm too. I mean, there were all kinds of reasons why 
God's people were tempted to idolatry, not the least of which was everybody else is doing it. We're the only nation that doesn't have these idols. We're the only nation that doesn't build these religious spots, these high places. We're the only nation that doesn't uh, plant these groves of trees, trees that have special significance. Uh, We're the only nation that doesn't worship the stars and look at them out there. And I mean, it was very, very much a temptation for God's people to act like the neighboring nations around them. And what was true all those many years ago, is true today. Sometimes we feel as if because we're in the minority, you might look around you and think, yeah, but you know, is, is God's way really the only way? Is the Bible really the, the subject of, of, of the, really the authority for our faith and practice? And I mean, I see good people all around me and people that are prosperous and people that live their lives and they never go to church and they don't read the Bible and they seem like good people and they seem like their lives are okay. And boy, if we're not careful, we'll kind of get that minority complex. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll look at just superficial means of blessing and do what they do. And God says, don't do that. Don't learn the ways of the people that don't know, that don't practice uh, worshiping of me. Don't do it. Don't do it because you might settle into those practices and in settling into them, you're going to seal your own destruction. Look at verse number three. Here's the reason why. For the customs of the people are vain. the, The religions that you're seeing around you, whether it's Baal or Ashtaroth or whatever the false god is, the the false gods of Egypt. The the, the Bible says the customs of the people, they're vain, they're empty, they're worthless. And then he, he, he talks about it. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born. That means to be carried, B-O-R-N-E, to be carried because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. So see what Jeremiah does almost mockingly in this message? He says, think about their gods. They have to go to the, they have to go to the forest. They have to cut down a tree. They have to carve it. They have to bedeck it with gold and silver, put all the ornamentation in it. Then they have to pick it up. They have to carry it. They have to put it in place. They have to prop it up so it's standing. Uh, They have to worship it. And then they know exactly what it is. They they made it. They they decorated it. They carried it. They put it there. And then all of a sudden, switcheroo, now they're worshiping it as if it can do something for them. How ridiculous is idolatry. Idolatry can't do anything for us. Those gods are gods that we made. So so why is it that man can be so duped by the gods he has made with his own hands? I think it's because we want to be duped. We, We like to worship what we've made because at the end of the day, that really means we can get what we want. And yet the Bible says, so ensconced were they in this false worship that they were allowing it to affect them emotionally. Uh, we're afraid of these gods. We're afraid of the gods that we've made. Uh, that God can, we, we've got to, 
I, I think about Buddhism, for instance, and the people that sadly go and and bring food and put it in front of the, the Buddha for their dead relatives, and somehow that idol is going to speak for them. I mean, think about just how ridiculous this is logically, and yet people have done that for millennia, haven't they? And so, what is what 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 does uh, what is the message of verses one through five? The message is that worship, uh, idol worship is foolish. It's foolish because at the, at the end of the day, we're not worshiping a stick. We're not worshiping a piece of gold. We're not worshiping an idol. We're not worshiping this thing that's propped up. We're really worshiping ourselves because we are the ones that planned it. We are the one that processed it. We are the ones that propped it up. We are the ones that made it. And so therefore, we're really engaged in self-worship, aren't we? Uh, I can call the shots. I'm in control. I can do what I want. And under the guise of religion, it's really just self-worship. So verses one through five, that's the negative. That's, that's what idols cannot do for you. I'm so glad that I don't have a God that I have to prop up. I have a God that props me up. I think about how the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel chapter number four. And remember, they brought the Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of the very presence of God, and they put that Ark in the temple of their God, Dagon. And remember what happened when they got up in the morning and went into the temple? Dagon had fallen flat on his face right in front of right in front of uh, the true God. And they propped him up and he fell down again. The whole point is this, that uh, our man-made idols will never stand in the face of God. Look at verse number six. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord. So now see the direction, uh, the change of direction in the message. Uh, Jeremiah is uh, is mocking them for their foolish allegiances, but now he speaks directly to the Lord. There's none like thee, O Lord. Thou art great. Thy name is great in might. Lord, you you are not even to be compared to these false gods. You are truly great. You're great in your person. You're great in your power. Verse number seven, who would not fear thee, O king of nations? You're not just the king of Judah. You're not just the king of Israel. You're the king of all nations. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. In other words, everything belongs to you. Everything is about you. Even the people that don't know you. Verse number seven. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. I mean, you can go as far as you want to the east, a north, south, west, you can go to that nation that's close by or that other nation that's far away. You can examine their gods, their religion, their history, and you won't find one God, one religion. You won't find one way of living, one philosophy that holds a candle to the true God. That's what Jeremiah is saying here. So he has decried their false worship, but now he's elevating uh, the, the, the worship of God. See, it's one thing to point out what's wrong. It's one thing to say you should not worship that. But if all of our preaching and all of our teaching to our children, to the next generation is 
Don't do that. Don't believe that. Don't go there. Don't wear that. Don't say this. Don't worship in that way. If that's all, if that's the sum total of our messaging, then that's not helpful either. It's not a matter of what we don't do per se. It's a matter of finding our value in God, seeing God for who he is, seeing God in his greatness, in his power, in his uh, incomparable nature. Look at verse number eight. But they are altogether brutish uh, and foolish. The, the, the stock is a doctrine of vanities. Uh, that idol worship is, is empty. It's animalistic is what this is saying. It's dumb. Verse number nine, silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish, gold from Euphaz, the work of the workmen. In other words, these precious metals and the this art, the, the way that people can manipulate those metals and 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 decorate them and, and form them in shapes, uh, they they are imported from these famous places and they're brought in for the express purpose of decorating this these wood carvings. And the Bible says uh, from Tarshish, from Euphaz, the work of the workmen of the hands of the founder. Blue and purple in their clothing, so seamstresses and and purple clothing, which was the the uh, color of royalty, and to develop purple dye back in those days was very expensive. There was a certain kind of shellfish uh, that was crushed to produce purple dye, and it was very expensive. It it was the color of the rich and and the famous and the and the connected. The Bible says the, the blue and purple is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. So the best workers, the best seamstresses, the best materials, all of it dedicated to making these idols, and yet none of it is worth anything. It might be worth something because of its physical value, but as far as its spiritual value, it is worth nothing. Verse number uh, 10. I knew we'd get here. Verse number 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. I love that. He's true. Why? Because he's the living God. We didn't go discover him and cut him down in a forest and and paint him up and decorate him up and then worship him as some inanimate object. No, we didn't cut God down. God God can cut us down. That's the whole last chapter. No, a God is the living God. He's the true God. The Bible says an everlasting king. He's the eternal God. Truth, life, eternity. At his, an everlasting king, at his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. No, God is more than able to control our nation. Uh, the nation of Judah said Jerusalem, said uh, Jeremiah, but all the nations of the world. And we better be on his side because his indignation, his wrath, when we violated his will, when we said no to him, who in the world can stand against a living, true, everlasting, powerful God? And of course, the answer is nobody. So we better get on his team because anything we can make will ultimately fail us. And yet God, our maker, will always be there for us. And so follow the true and the living God. That's it. Verses one through 10, we'll jump into verse number 11. Next episode, 
I know you'll be here for that. I appreciate that. And so we'll see you then. Have a great day in the Lord. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.